Today's Sunday is Gimel Kislev. We have a minig in this base medrash for Nashim, Obanai 770, that every Friday we learn a Maimah from the Rebbe. And uh, we learn it in a way that is like an overview. Meaning to say, we learn either a Maimah in one class or two classes, and on very rare occasion, three. How do you learn a Maimah so quickly? You don't read every word. We overview, we get the basic picture, and I focus on the key points, and I try, I hide, try my best to bring out the clarity and the point of the Maimed. This past Friday, there was no Maimed in our regular cycle of Tovshin Mem Gimel, 1983. We have two more left. Next week and the week after Mitzvah Shemvah, and then we're starting Mem Beis. For me, it's very exciting. I know you don't particularly care, but for me, it's a big deal. We're finishing another year. We did Mem Ches, Mem Zayin, Mem Vav, Mem Hey, Mem Dalad, Mem Gimel. Complete years. It's very exciting. So you don't have a Maimed, we sneak in another Maimed. Now, because of what we had been learning, I decided to learn with you a Maimed that explains the Maimed Azayar, Mashiach Asa La Sava Tzadikaya B'Tayuft. There is a statement in Zayar that says, Mashiach comes to teach Tzadikim how to do Chuv. Mashiach also, Mashiach comes, La Sava Tzadikaya B'Tayuft, to make Tzadikim do Chuv. And um, I know there is such a Maimed because I had learned it years ago from the very first year of the Rebbe's Nesias, the Rebbe became a Rebbe Yud Shvat. That first Pesach, Tov Shin Yud Aleph, the Rebbe said a Maimed, two Maimodim actually. One Maimed was said, Achen Pesach, which begins, Venoch all of Ruach Havaya. And the second Maimed begins with the Pasuk, I'm sorry, the first Maimed begins with the Pasuk, Veheinif no Yode Alanor Bayom Ruche. And the second one begins, Veheinif Yehinus Noch Chedesh. In other words, the first Maimah was Achan Shal Pesach, the second Maimah was the Shabbos after Pesach, which happened to also be Erevish Chedesh. And these two Maimahim are a Hemshech, they're a series of Maimahim, the two go together, and the spirit of the two Maimahim is explaining this sugya of Mashiach Asa, Mashiach comes, La Sovet Sadekai Betiyuft. So we started it on Friday, and we're continuing it today, and uh, with the permission of Dan Hollow, this week, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, we're going to learn the next one which is much more about this idea of Mashiach and children. So I want to tell you something that's written in the next Maimer, which you don't have. I have a copy of both Maimerim. I'm giving you only a copy of the first. In the next Maimer, near the beginning of the Maimer, the Rebbe says that Mashiach has two things. One is called Muhuse Shal Mashiach, and the other is called Pu'ulase Shal Mashiach. One is what Mashiach is, and the other is what Mashiach does. What does Mashiach do? He makes Tzadikim do Tshuva. Mashiach also lasava Tzadikai B'tiyofta. What does Mashiach do? He makes Tzadikim do Tshuva. What is Mashiach? Meirach V'doyen. Meirach V'doyen means he smells and he judges. So there's two concepts. The function of Mashiach is to teach Tzadikim how to do Tshuva. The essence of Mashiach, what Mashiach is by himself, that he judges by smell. So when we learned on Friday, the first part, we learned about we actually learned mostly the second half of the Maimed. What is the function of Mashiach? The Pu'ula of Mashiach, the action of Mashiach is also la sovet tzadikai, but yufte make tzadikim do tshuva. And of course the question becomes, how can you make a tzadik do tshuva? Tshuva is min harichok. You only do tshuva if you're far away. And a tzaddik is close. And even though when a tzaddik is close, he wants to get closer, 
But running towards good is never as powerful as running from evil. And if running towards good is never as powerful as running from evil, what does it mean that a tzaddik can do children? So the Rebbe says, Mashiach is going to be Megala Etzel. Mashiach is going to reveal what we call, for lack of words, the essence. And because Mashiach is going to reveal the essence, even the biggest tzaddik is far away when it comes to the essence. And therefore, all the richness of the tzaddik is not going to mean that the tzaddik is running towards good, because there's no, because the essence is too far removed from that, but the tzaddik isn't running relative to the essence. The richness of the tzaddik is poverty. And I explained it to you in the class, like the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was the richest of the rich. And the Alter Rebbe was deeply broken. Because he used to say, Ich will mer nicht as dich allein. All I want is you and you alone. And because the Alter Rebbe wanted the Abish to himself, this is not considered the level of a tzaddik. This is a tzaddik's tshuva. As close as he is, he feels very far away because all the light that he has has nothing to do with the Abishad himself. And the Rebbe gave us a wonderful example. A wonderful example. You know how it is, you prepare a class, you teach a class, and you think about the class. And when you think about it afterwards, you realize, this is amazing. So I'm going to now repeat something from Friday Shtickle, but more Adichizdik, because I, <laughs> I, I impressed myself, I moved myself, so to speak. And that is as follows. There's a Maimed that the Rebbe Rashab said the last year of his physical life. And it's not Verdi, it's not coincidental. The Rebbe Rashab says the last year of his life, in my opinion, because he was speaking about the next generation. But the Friedrich is the Rebbe's generation. This title of the Rebbe Rashab is very famous, we all know it, because it's been repeated so many times. What is the title of the Rebbe Rashab? That it says in the Pasuk and Pashas Baalais, Va'ish Mesha, that the man, Mesha Rabbeinu, Onav Miyed, is very humble. Mikola Adam, from all Adam. Asher that are in the face of this earth. But Moshe Rabbeinu was humble compared to everybody else. So the Rebbe Rashab taught Moshe Rabbeinu saw the whole future, all generations, and he saw the last generation before Mashiach. And Moshe Rabbeinu was humbled mostly by that last generation before Mashiach. So the Rebbe Rashab and the Friedrich Rebbe write, why was Moshe Rabbeinu humble when he saw the generation before Mashiach? Because he saw their Mesidus Nefesh. And in this Maimed, that's what the Rebbe brings. That the Rebbe Rashab said that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the future and was humbled by the Yidden in the generation. From Mashiach, he saw the Mesidus Nefesh. Our Rebbe, in many later Maimodim, would change this. Instead of writing that Moshe Rabbeinu was humbled by the Indian Mesidus Nefesh, he writes, Moshe Rabbeinu was humbled by seeing Jews like us with small minds and small hearts and small neshamas and dense gufes and all kinds of distractions that are al yevesh We're not turned off, we're not disinspired by scoffers, by people who mock, who laugh. And the Rebbe says, al yevesh, not being dispelled from the mockery of the world is equivalent to the Indian Amsivis Nefesh. So the Rebbe says, think of a Meshach Rabbeinu. Meshach Rabbeinu was the greatest of the great, the deepest of the deep. And he looked into the future. Who impressed him? The Yidden who were the lowest. Us. And what impressed him? The challenges of our lives and the fact that we will overcome them. So the Rebbe says, when Moshe looks to our generation, the generation of the Siddhas Nefesh, to the generation of Ayyav Shepni and it humbles him, that's Moshe Rabbeinu's Shuva. Why? Because Moshe is so close to the Yavishtim. And nevertheless, he feels broken by Yidna very far from the Yavishtim. In other words, he feels 
in comparison to them, far. And the motivation of Meshach Rabbeinu is not a motivation that I'm close and I want to get closer, but a motivation I'm far and I want to get closer. So the Rebbe suggests that Meshach Rabbeinu, looking at our generation and seeing the Mesides Nefesh, was a form not only of Meshach envying us, but a form of tshuva, as if everything Meshach has is nothing and he needs something that he doesn't have and he's running, so to speak, from something negative to something positive compared to what Yiddin is in our generation. It's an unbelievable word. So you have examples for a tzaddik doing tshuva. I gave the example from Alter Rebbe, which the Rebbe says, that's the source, Alter Rebbe says, that a tzaddik does tshuva like the Alter Rebbe. And in this mind, he brings the example of Meshach Rabbeinu. That Meshach Rabbeinu did tshuva. How can did tshuva? He's the biggest tzaddik ever. He saw Yidin who are going to have unbelievably difficult odds and nevertheless going to serve the Eivish that he made him so jealous that he felt like his Avaida is a non-Avaida and he's trying to get closer to the Eivish min harichok from a distance rather than min akirif. not I'm close and I want to get closer but I am far this is the Nekud so there's the concept of a Tzadik doing Tshuva and the one who is able to teach Tzadikim to Tshuva is only Mashiach because Mashiach reveals that the essence and because Mashiach reveals the essence compared to the essence everybody is far this is a chazara, it's a summary, and it's more than a summary. It's also an addition to what we learned on Friday last. And it explains the action of Mashiach. The action of Mashiach is to make Tzadikim to Tshuva. Tomorrow I have to prepare, and preparing takes time. And to create time, I have to take away something else. So I'm, I'm planning on preparing the Maimed. We're going to learn the next Maimed. Of course, I'll give you the copies. Where we're going to learn a further discussion on this idea we're going to dig deeper into this concept that only Mashiach teaches Tzadikim how to do Tshuva. What we're going to be learning today is what the Maimah calls Muhusei What is Mashiach? The you know Mashiach is that Mashiach smells and judges. He smells and judges. And we're going to begin on the first page, which is page Nunzayim. In your Maimah, to explain what this means, that Meshach Rabbeinu gives a whiff and he judges. I mean, a person, two people come to a court of law and they're arguing about money. So how do you determine what is wrong? You smell them. How, what's the chat made of them? How do you judge a situation by giving a whiff, by giving a smell? It doesn't make any sense. And in this mind, the Rebbe is going to explain it. I need to give you an introduction, a short introduction. We are dependent creatures. On what are we dependent? on so many things we can't even think about. We need so much to be us. Correct? We need air. We need water. We need food. We need so many, we need so many processes to happen in our body. Right? Most of it goes on in our body we're not paying attention to. It's happening or the brain is doing it all like at the back of the computer automatically. If we have to concentrate on digesting food and breathing air and water and so on and so forth we have no time to do anything. These are processes that happen totally, what we call in our culture, the subconscious. The goof, the neshama does it all by itself. But we're dependent on the world around us in a million ways. Mamash. One of our dependencies is renewal of energy. How do we renew our energy? By eating food. The food that we eat is used for the replenishment of body parts, the cellular regeneration. But in addition to food being necessary for the regeneration of body parts, 
the food is also pushing energy, like 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 wood in a stove, like coal in a fire. They they give pushing koyach to a person. We all need energy. Of course, one of the most available forms of energy, as you probably know, is air, is oxygen. If we didn't breathe, we would push around that energy unbelievably quickly in a matter of a minute or two. But air is not enough. In addition to air, you need other things. You need blood. You need and and food gives koyach. When you learn in Hasidus about food giving koyach, you're going to see it on the top of page Nunchas. Hasidus explains the following. That when you eat food, food has two components. And in the third Maimed, I came across a third component about food. Okay? The first component about food is very physical. Food has chemicals and minerals and vitamins and fats and sugars, v'cholu, that give a person the building blocks of cells and energy. You eat food because the physicality of the food provides your physical body with what it needs. The cells die, the food that you eat is broken down and it regenerates and renews the cells that died. V'cholu, v'cholu, v'cholu. There's a very physical process that happens to the food we eat. It's transformed into our goof. It becomes one with us. Um, and it, and it, gives us, it keeps us alive. So the Pasuk says, you should know. The man does not live by bread alone. A person lives on the words of the Ebishter's mouth. So the Ramariya Hasidus explained, what does it mean? It means as follows. In addition to the physicality of the food, inside that food is an ishama, a nefesh. When you eat the physical food, you're eating the chayis in that physical food as well. You eat a piece of meat. Came from a living animal, so the physical part of the meat, which is mostly carbon, feeds the physical part of the body, and the nisham of the animal feeds the nisham of the person. But to say it a little bit differently, the nisham of the animal keeps the nisham of the person connected to the nisham to the goof of the person. Why I'm not going into right now. So when you eat food, two things are taking place on a physical level: the physical food is broken down and becomes cellular parts and becomes energy. And on a spiritual level, when you eat food, you're eating the life of the animal, which according to Kabbalah has a higher source of life of the person that comes from Muhammadiyya and Tigyan and so on. And it keeps the Nisham and the Guf together. It keeps us okay, two points. Now, I saw in a Maimed, I actually wrote it on the margin of page, whatever page it is, page Nunches, that uh, in some Maimodim it says that food doesn't have to do with Chayis, food has to do with Yashmayan. When you eat food, it doesn't give life to the person, it keeps the body from coming apart. The yesh meyayin, the actual physical body. This is an unusual concept, which I saw in a couple of my modem, and I'm not sure where to place it. What's for us enough is these two original ideas. Number one, the physicality of the food sustains the physicality of the person. Number two, the spirituality of the person gives spirituality, the spirituality of the food and the shaman in the food gives spirituality to the person. This maimir talks, let me give you an example. What about... Taste. Taste. Yeah, you eat food. Food has two parts. One part of the food is the physical part of the food. The other part of the food is the vitality. What happens if the food tastes good or tastes bad? It's sharp. It's sweet. It's sweet and sour. Whatever the taste of the food. What does taste have to do with food? So of course the answer is taste is one of the five senses. And it says in Hasidus, and its source of it is in the Gemara, that when you eat tasty food, it expands your mind. It expands your heart. It opens you up. There's a Gemara that says it. And Nachman said once, I can't answer your question. I haven't eaten meat today yet. 
And eating meat is about the shamnunus, the taste, the flavor, the richness of it. There's already a third idea now, right? The first idea is the physicality of the food. The second idea is the neshama within the food. And the third is the tam, the taste. Does it make a difference to your body if the food tastes good or tastes bad as long as you eat? But food is meant to taste good. The taste gives you something. If you're about taiva, it satisfies your taivas. But if you're an edelah person, the taste of the food open you up. Like we had talking yesterday's Pasha, Yitzchok says, I want to give you a bracha, so I need to have Ruach HaKadosh, and Eina Shechina Sheida Elo Meteich Simcha, no, for me to give a bracha, I have to be happy. How am I going to be happy? Matamim, tasty food. And then of course he drank wine, I'll get to that in a second. Taste affects the soul of a person. Now, if you eat food that doesn't taste good, and you eat food that does taste good, the first two in Yonim are not offset. Right? The physicality of the food sustains the physicality of the body. The life of the food sustains the connection between the life of the neshama and the person. So what am I missing if the food doesn't taste good? The answer is taste appeals to a higher level of the person. The physical body is kept alive by food. The neshama and the guf are kept together by life. Taste enriches your brain and your heart and your senses. Now you can live with a poor brain and a poor heart and poor senses. But it's not the same life. You eat tasty food and you eat it the way you're supposed to, which doesn't mean in large quantities. But it enriches your brain and your heart. It adds a dimension of spirituality which is above and beyond the first two concepts of food. It's beyond the concept of the food, the physicality of the food. It's above the life within the food. This has to do with the ruchnis, with the taste. Right? Now what about wine? Wine. Wine tastes good, and wine, I suppose, on a certain level, also nourishes. They're saying today that a little bit of wine every day is good for the heart. I think it's You know that, right? Now, I saw even an article that all any alcoholic beverages has a similar effect, but the ikea is great, yeah. But it also has an alcoholic content. It's misameach, it gives you joy. Tasty meat makes you happy. Strong wine makes you happier, yeah, also happy. If I don't, I don't drink wine and I don't experience that joy, I can live. But the joy enriches the life. And again, you understand very well. If you drink wine all day long, that's all you drink, you're sick. But if you drink wine the way you're supposed to, the way a yid drinks wine, it brings joy to the person. Like it says in the Chumash, And then he was able to get Mabrocha because of the Simcha, the Ruach HaKadosh, which rested in Yitzchak So you have here a fourth dimension, Right? The first is the physicality of the food. The second is the life of the food. The third is the taste of the food. And the fourth is the intoxicating nature of the food. It's machshike. Now let me throw something in which I can't explain. I'm throwing it in because it's true and I can't explain it because I never saw a husband of Sidis on it. Food is supposed to look nice. You put a dish, you go to a chasana, you go to a dinner. Yeah, it's not just that it's tasty. It puts it as a shame. Yoifi, shame, begashmias. And if it's not nice, what happens? It touches you. Doesn't keep your body alive, doesn't keep your neshama infected to the goof alive, but the spiritual levels of the person are changed because something is pretty versus something which is not pretty. Made, it's called vision. Now, I'm not discussing it because, like I said, I never saw a husband in Hasidus. But there's one more thing that we have to mention, and that is aroma, smell, the olfactory sense. Yeah? You eat food, it affects your body, it affects your neshama. If it tastes good and enriches your brain, if it intoxicates additional joy and the smell, 
Everybody knows how the smell affects you, right? If it's a bad smell, it makes you totally sick. And if it's a wonderful smell, it enriches you. And the good news about smell, you can smell it all you want. There's no calories. There's another dimension here. Now, as a physical human being, nothing, if, if, if your food doesn't smell good, doesn't smell bad, if, it's, if it can give you, keep you alive, it's good enough. But to keep you alive as a biological machine. When you're talking about the spirit of the person, the smells have an enormous impact on the pneumias of the person. And again, if a person is indulging in these things like about taiva, it's not a shkaitin. But if he does them like a yid, chamra wine and summit, make you sharp, make you smart. A good smell has a very deep effect on a person because it touches the deeper senses and enriches them. And you function better, your brain functions better, your heart functions better, your senses function better, and you're a bigger person, not a bigger human, a bigger organism, a bigger biological being. For that, you just need food. But the ruchni is the spirituality of the person has to do very, very much with the taste, and with the joy, and with the beauty, and with the smell. There. So there's a story with the Alter Rebbe based on the Gemara. It's a famous story that they brought once Alter Rebbe Maton. Alter Rebbe never took gifts. Because al used to say, A person who hates gifts, lives long. Okay? Once, a year brought al Matana, and uncharacteristically he took it. What was the Matana? A tabat pushka, a snuff box. Well, there's a reason why he took it. There's a story with a dream with the Shach, which I'll say for a different time. But he never used it as a snuff box. He took the screw out that joined the top of the box, the lid of the box with the box. And the box itself was put in the house and the feeder came and said he saw it as a kid. The lid, which would eventually disappear, the Altareva used as a mirror to check that it's still no string. So when the Altareva was given this gift of a snuff box and he received it, but he disconnected the masmid, as you said, the nail, the screw, the top from the keli, and put the keli down and used it Beckel, the cover, the Al Rebbe made a comment. Al Rebbe says that the Gemara says, Reach is Dover Shamishama Nen is Mimenu Valeya Guf. The olfactory sense, the pleasure of smell, is only spiritual, it's not physical at all. It touches only the Nishama and not the Guf. Let's talk this over. That that you eat food and it fills you is physical. That you eat food and it gives you life is connected to physical. That you eat food and it tastes good. Taste is a spiritual thing, but it also has a shaykh of the gashmis. When you eat food and it looks nice, it also has a shaykh of the gashmis. The smell straight to the soul. So the Al-Tarebbe observed that the Gemara says, there's one limit a human being that has nothing to do with gashmis. Only Ruchmis called the nose, and they want to make him a Baltaiva also. Huh? They're giving him also physical pleasures. They're making him also a, a, a pleasure seeker. He should enjoy good smells. So the Al-Tarebbe violated that by taking the snuff box, but not using it for snuff, using it as a mirror fist film. What I'm trying to bring out in this whole Hagdome is that the person is a consumer. We get from around us things that we need to be us. Some of the things that we get from around us to be us, we share with plants and animals. And some of the things we get from the world around us that we need to be us are things that animals don't have any kush. Food, animals eat like we do. But taste and smell, there are tastes and smells that are repulsive to animals. But the, 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 the relationship, and by the way, most animals have much better olfactory sense than we do. You have to study the, how they explain the biological history 
that the most sophisticated sense is vision, eyes. Human beings are defined mostly by because we have very, very good eyes and we replace the other senses like hearing and smelling. Other animals, you've seen that they smell, they have they say 10 times as good an olfactory sense, 100 times as good as a thousand, a thousand times as good, 10,000 times. They say animals can smell unbelievably small things, but they don't have a gishmak in the gishmak of their smell. You can smell a cadaver, they smell a, a rotting carcass two miles away, they go and eat. But the reach doesn't serve a purpose by itself. Human beings have all of these layers. And smell enriches a person in a spiritual way. You don't need smell to live, but you need smell to be human. Just like taste doesn't enrich a person physically, but you need it to be human. Smell is the same thing. And smell is considered the abrosta of the senses. Based on this, So our maimed is about smell. Why is a maimed about smell? Because it says about Mashiach that he's made of the he smells and he judges. And the Rebbe wants to explain this Gemara. What the, how do you judge by smelling? And the Rebbe is going to explain it to us. So let's analyze what the reyach, what a good smell means. What's the concept of reyach? What's the concept of smell? And eventually this will lead us back to the concept of meirach v'doyin. How Mashiach smells and he is able to judge. This is the topic on the table. Okay, so let's begin to read on the bottom of page Nun Zayed. Okay? Five. You need one of each, and if you don't mind giving your shchenes over there, they'll be very helpful. The explanation is the mother says, which of the five senses is the kind of a thing that has only to do with ruchnis, doesn't have a gash music component at all? Have that means smell. That's the difference between food and drink and smell. Now let me point it out. When you eat and drink, in addition to the food itself, there's the taste, and there's the texture, and there's the beauty, and there's the smell. There's the intoxicating component, there's the jainam shaket, and there is the smell. The smell of the food is also spiritual. And the Rebbe explains, Food and drink have to do with being physically alive in both aspects of literally replenishing the food's body parts and giving it energy. And keeping the neshama and the guf joined. Smell is a totally spiritual olfactory function that it talks directly to the neshama. The different things that we consume have different effects on how we keep the guf and the neshama connected. And the Rebbe says the neshama and the guf really should never be able to come together. The guf is, is gashmias, is mise. The neshama is ruchnius, and it says in Shulchan Aruch, it's brought in Sidid that it's a keach amafli lasa is lachab agashmius ruchnius. The Eibush does an incredible miracle that the guf and the neshama should join together. How is the guf and the neshama joined together, or how is the guf and the neshama joining, sustained, kept going through food? Last line on the page: Valzehu pulos achilostia. People eat and drink. To keep the guf and the neshama together, so there should be a living organism, a physical living organism. We know the interpretation of the man does not live by bread alone. In other words, when you eat food, it's not only minerals and vitamins and chemicals that are sustaining you. 
there is also spirituality, there's also the words of the Abishad in that food, Yahad that gives life to the person. This means that the godliness in the food is need to tell the divine spark which is in the bread. gives life to the person. So the physicality of the food sustains the physicality of the goof. The life in the food sustains the connection between the neshama and the goof, and the Rebbe calls it Epnim. Three lights on top of the page, it's a limited light, life and a revealed life, which the neshama is sustained in the goof through eating food. When do you need smell? Four lines on top of the page. If there is a problem with the link between the neshama and the goof, when a person faints, when a person faints, food and drink are not going to work. A person faints if you smelling so a strong smell or an interesting smell. Why? There's a belief that the neshama hears the smell and comes forward. It brings forth the neshama that has retreated into a state of essence, meaning to say to exist by itself. And bring it forward to give life to the body. Smell, the olfactory sense appeals to something which is called makif, indirect and infinite. And the Rebbe says, which is why this is the Smell is not considered in Allah a physical thing. Now, the fact of the matter is, it is a physical thing. Because you can actually measure the physical particles that you're able to smell, and they're finite. But according to Allah, a sound and a smell and a, a visual, a sight, are considered having no Matthias Gashmi. Um, they're not considered tangible. Smell of trait doesn't is not a problem. The smell of milk and meat mixing together is not a problem. It's the Zaya. You can use the same oven for milk and flashics. The smell is the problem. It's the Zaya. You know what Zaya means? The vapor, the condensation, because that's real. But the, ta- the reach is nishka metzies. But lachena din. I just skipped a bit. I'm ten lines on the top of the page, beginning of the line. The halacha is shemisha nafal. Love my paylis. A person who, God forbid, on him collapsed a wall and there's a pile of stones. So you don't know if he's alive or dead. It's Shabbos. Yeah, guys, under a pile of rubble. So there's two shilas here. But a person dies on Shabbos. You're not allowed to remove. If you know for sure he's dead, you have to wait till after Shabbos to remove the rubble. But if you're not sure, you remove the rubble. How do you find that the person is alive? You put a feather under his nose and you see if it shakes. Says the Rebbe. Check his nose. The neshama comes into the body through the nose, like it says by other meditation. So the neshama departs from the body also through the nose. Skip one line. You checked all the limbs. And the heart isn't working. And they're also not showing signs of life. It's not enough. If you know that the body is shut down, you still have to check the nostrils. If there's any breath left, that person is living and you're not allowed to touch him because he'll be mighty and say, and so on. Why? The, it's conceivable that there should be life in the nose and there's life no place else because this is a life that goes to the very essence now like I said to you before this is a very controversial issue I, I know from doctors who struggle with the interface between halacha and modern medicine about what they call brain death and 
artificial sustaining on machines and turning them on and turning them off. And once the person is on all these kinds of questions, but the halacha says that the, if I may use these words, the last place where life departs from the nose, so that's where it entered, and the life in the nose is it. So you determine life and death by the, by the, ah, by the nose. So what are we learning? That there are so many things that a person consumes from his world. Now, a person could live without smell. A person can't live without food. But what kind of person would that be? Of course it's true. Food is a staple. And smell is a luxury. Just like music is a luxury. And art is a luxury. But these things, when they're used in, in a spiritual way, the way it's understood, the way the Abish that intended for these things to be used, not as tithes and indulgences and distractions, but as vehicles for serving in Kaddish Baruch Hu, these makif, those things that don't keep the, the body physically alive, the way a monkey is kept alive, the way a plant is kept alive, but rather they appeal to the Mu'id Lazachan and the person, are the higher aspects of human consumption. The world around us gives us things that are edel and edelet and even edelet. And one of those things is reich, smell. And the argument of this moment is that the edel says reich. So now, let's skip to the point. When you say Mashiach is merach vidoy, Mashiach smells and judges, we don't understand yet how he judges by smelling. But we understand the illusion. Why does the Mishtapasuk and the Gemara explain that he smells because smell is the deepest of the senses. It goes to the very essence of the Nisham. And then the Rebbe says something. You know, I'm going to skip. Go to number six. Go to number six. There's two levels of the nose. This is so fascinating. There's two nostrils. The right nostril and the left nostril. Now, of course, right and left, which is higher, you're supposed to say right. Correct? But it's also true that the left is lower with a higher source. And the same is true here. You have mechad From one nostril, the right nostril, you have Chayim, and Chaya, I'll tell you right now, means the Madrega of the Neshama called Chaya, which is higher than Nefesh Ruch and Neshama. Or Mechad Nukva, Nekava Smolian, from the left hand nostril, Chayim de Chayim, the life of life, and you'll see later on this means Yechidah. Smell touches the Makifim of the Neshama, the right side of the nose smell touches Chaya, and the left side of the nose touches Yechidah. What's the difference? A sweet smell reveals life in a pleasant way. A sharp and a pungent, powerful smell, which gives you a shake. Yeah. Reveals the higher madrei. The right, the right nostril, which reveals only chaya, reveals life, which comes directly, which is bechinas kiteni yisatik. And nekav hasmoli, the left nostril, it brings back a life in an indirect way, which means yichidu bechinas makif primi yisatik. Now skip to Vahamosho Lodovor Begashmis, which is seven lines from the top of page Nuntes. Vahamosho Lodovor Begashmis, seven lines from the top of page The physical example is Shabes Alphos Regilo Meil Gamreach Stam. A person faints, give him a smell. Avobes Alphos Chazoka Begayset. When a person has fainted very deeply in the Meil Reach an ordinary smell is not sufficient. El Adaf Gereach Medovish Vechimut Vechimut has to be sharp. And sour, dover chad, very sharp. A sweet smell also arouses a person. That's what perfume is. It's a sweet, it's a pleasant smell. But when a person is deeply gone, you need a strong smell to give him a shake. 
It's able to bring back the neshama. Even though the neshama has deeply hidden itself away in the deepest recesses of the subconscious, smell brings it forward. It reaches the deepest madrega of the depth of the neshama. So a regular smell is chayo, and it brings back a person who's not so deeply fainted. And in avoida, it's the usa It's serving Hashem higher than reason that has an indirect relationship with reason. A very sharp smell can bring back a person who has very deeply fainted, which is connected to the yechida. It's a connection to Hakadosh Baruch which has no shaykhs to reason whatsoever. So the, the zoya and idra rabba, which is the so to speak the kabbalistic, there's two parts of zayir called idra. We have all the fancy kabbalah. The whole zayir is kabbalah, but there's a certain part of zayir which is very complicated. And in the idra it says that the reyach smell has to do with makifim. But Yechid, the previous of the Neshama, and the left nostril is higher than the right nostril. It's Yechida versus Chai. Okay? So we understand that Reach gives us something. A person who lives in a world without smell, a person who cannot smell, is missing a certain level of enrichment. And if he's a spiritual person, that lack of a smell offsets a certain ability to come closer to our Kaddish Baruch Hu, because all of these stimulations affect us in a favorable way if they use it in an appropriate way. Okay? Good, yeah? So far, we've explained the word demerach, smell. But we haven't explained v'doyim. How can you use reach to judge? Doesn't make any sense. So go back to page nunches. It's the big paragraph, of course. It's ten lines from the end. The line that begins with the word shoynos. The line that begins with the word shoynos says as follows. It says in Kabbalah that the nose is the opening to the brain. You hear that? You know where your brain begins? In the nostrils. Now, since when does the nose, that's where the brain, nose has to with olfactory sense, with the brain. Yeah. So the Rebbe asks the question. This means the When you say that there's a relationship between the nose and smell, and the mayach, it means the deepest levels of the brain. The nose has to do with the brain. While the heart has to do with the mouth. It says the Rebbe, your heart has to do with your mouth because you can speak how you feel. The heart, the, the mouth has to do with the brain because you can speak what you understand. How come we link speech to the heart and the nostrils to the brain? Just like you link speech to the heart, link speech to the brain because you speak ideas also. And the Rebbe answers. Ella, six lines from the end of that paragraph. When you say that there's a relation between the nose and the brain, it doesn't mean ordinary ideas. Because ordinary ideas come from words, which is called Okay? Now the last line of the paragraph. When we said that the nose is the key to the brain, we mean the inner dimension of the brain. Ordinary use of the mind has nothing to do with the nose. Ordinary use of the mind has to do with the mouth or the ears, perhaps. When we say that there's a relationship between the mind and the reach, we mean primia samoich. Who ever met primia samoich? You have a mind, yeah. My mind can understand, can reason, yeah. What's the primia of understanding? Understanding better? No. It means something very, very, very different. Okay. And I'm going to put it to you in these words. There's two ways to define smart. One is what a person knows. 
and the other is what is the person capable of knowing. There are smart people, they know a lot of stuff. Then you have smart people, any challenge you'll give them, they'll tackle. Real smarts is measured by the latter rather than the former criteria. A really smart person is not a measure in what he knows, but what he can find out, what he can discover, what he can ascertain, what he can reach by using his mind. Okay? No, so there's degrees in how smart people are. In other words, there's degrees in how deep into one's brain one can go to extract power to understand ideas. Pnimiyas hamoichin means that I have an ability to connect my brain to my yechida, to power it. I have a mind. The mind is limited, right? What motivates the mind? Will. Why do I use my brain? Because I want to. And the want is the engine of the brain. But there's things that are even deeper than want. What's deeper than want? Yechida. He calls it Namaya Bittal, Kabbalah Seil. Where you force yourself to reason. And it has enough power to generate more brain power than the brain by itself has. That's the fact Pnei Mishamayichim. Pnei Mishamayichim means not how I'm using my brain. How I have an ability to link the power of the neshama to the brain, so the brain becomes a super brain. And the super brain is called Pnei Mishamayichim. And access to this super brain, where the brain is linked to the power of the neshama, is from smell. That's what the Maimed is saying. Okay, now give him a chance. Give him a chance. I know you have questions. Give the man a chance. Let him say his piece. Page Nuntes, where the seven is. I'm on page Nuntes, which the second paragraph, the second or even the third line. How do I make my brain work? What motivates my mind? What's the teretz? From something higher than the brain. What's higher than the brain? Something which is called masculine. And let's call it, for lack of words, will. I am able to reason because my neshama gives me reason. I am able to reason because I want to reason. But my ability to reason, my want to reason are finite. And therefore my power to reason is limited accordingly. I can't force myself to reason. We see in fact, Sometimes the brain doesn't work. And when the brain doesn't work, you can't just use the keach hamaskil to generate it. You have to go deeper. I can't draw ideas from the previous of ideas in my mind, in my neshama. I have to go to willpower. Willpower is already a second madre. Learn what you desire. Because where desire is, you'll succeed. What you want to learn, you'll know well. Next line. Ach, however. In case you lost the place, it's eight lines in the bottom page of Nuntas. Ach, it happens on occasion. For whatever reasons. Sibes studies, sibes nevius, external reasons or internal reasons. Skip the parentheses. Not only can I not use my brain by accessing my subconscious, I can't even use my brain by accessing my will. It's not strong enough. Well, the brain is not worth hibernation. So I will myself into reason, I can't will. So I can't use my Teich HaMaskel, which is a subconscious source of Seichel. I cannot use my power of will, which is even higher than that. It says, the Rebbe, six lines from the bottom, but eight Lazar, under those instances, there's a third possibility. You force yourself to do. Force means I force myself to do something that I don't want. He compels himself. 
Umeisetasatzmin, he dedicates himself, Bechalatzmus, he his entire essence to the learning, and he succeeds. Why? Because the power of self-control, the power of self-discipline, the power of Kabbalah sale reveals a koyach and then a shama that allows you to reason which you otherwise don't have. So the Rebbe says, you have a seichel that understands. Where does the seichel come from? Maskel. What's higher than maskel? Ratzen. What's higher than ratzen? Hechrech. Where you can force yourself to reason. How can you make yourself enjoy something? Learning is understanding. And the Tere says, there's a level in the neshama which is so deep that changes the person that even when they don't want to learn and understand, they're able to learn and understand. This is called Das of Atika Kadisha. And the Rebbe brings an expression from Kabbalah, there's a Kruma, there's Avira, the Kruma, the Moicha. And I'll tell you what this means. I, I'm not going to, but a few lines from the bottom, Avira, Shagabi Kruma, the Chafya Moicha, which is Meich in the Das, the Atika Kadisha. You see, the way it works is, the Neshama has to do with the Guf. You have access to the Neshama only through the Guf. For example, Emotions are in the heart. The heart is a physical pump. And because of the heart, I have feelings. Of course, right away you're going to tell me that's not true. Emotions are in the brain. Fine, I'm not debating it. But every spiritual aspect of the person has to do with the physical thing. Your ability to see and appreciate beautiful sights is a combination of an eye and a spiritual power of the ear. And the way it works is that the level of the neshama and the level of the guf have to match. Fingers can write. Fingers can draw. Fingers can play music. The life in the fingers and the physical design and se- whatever it is, dexterity and sensitivity of the fingers fuse. What's the best example for this? Our human brain, right? Which scientists have admitted they'll never figure out. It's a physical choymer that is so incredibly able that in it rests in a shama and on this basis you have incredible, incredible it's, it's, it's a super, super, super computer on a chemical and a physical level. And in it you have life, which is the basis for amazing, amazing things. Not just that you're living, but that you're understanding and that you're sensitive and that you feel and so forth and so forth. The meaning between the brain and the neshama is very refined because the brain is very able. And therefore the level of the neshama, which rests in the brain, is equally very able. Yeah? What about levels that are higher than the brain? The neshama rests in the brain, right? The neshama rests in the brain. What about levels of the neshama that don't fit into the brain? Where do they go? You know what the answer is? The skull. The gilgalus. The skull, which is the bone. The skull is a candy for will. Now, that's not true. Everybody would admit that the skull is a lot simpler an organism than a brain. Correct? And the basic answer is... The skull is a cleave for will, but the will is not revealed in the skull. In other words, will is higher than the seichel. There is a place in the guf where will manifests, but will is beheled. Will does not reveal itself in the person the way ideas reveal themselves in the brain. So without giving you a more comprehensive answer, because of time constraints, you're just going to have to believe me. The gogelus, the skull, has to do with will. And the will is not revealed in the gogelus, but the gogelus holds it, yeah? So now, here comes this. When they talk about the skull, they divide it into three levels. In other words, they talk about what's higher than the brain, which is a cleave for higher than reason. They divide it up into three. The lowest level of the three is called Golgalus, the skull, the physical skull. The second level is called Krumo. That means, say, between the, the bone, the skull, and the brain mass, 
there's a membrane around the brain. It has a name in biology. <laughs> I read about these things, but not only don't I understand them, I don't even remember the words, but there's a name for it. Around the, between the skull and the brain, there's a, a membrane. And halacha is nafkibin and trefus. If the skull has a hole, the animal is not a trefus. If the membrane is breached, even a drop, the animal is a trefus. So the two different levels. You with me, yeah? There's the skull, which is higher than the brain. There is the krum The krum, the membrane, is considered even ageler than the skull itself. And then there's a third thing, which is a really weird concept. And that is between the skull, which is hard, and the membrane, which is soft, there's an empty space. That empty space is called aviro. Like avid, air. So when they talk about the physical vessels for levels of neshama that are higher than reason, they talk of three levels. The lowest level would be the skull, which is the seat of will. The second level would be the krum, the membrane, which would be the will, a seat of something which is even higher than will. And then there's avira the krum. You can see the words inside. Three lines from the bottom, but it says avira shalgame kruma de Empty space. There's an empty space between the skull and the membrane. That empty space is, is it has no tangibility physically. And it's therefore clear for the very deepest level of the neshama. For lack of words, the yachid itself. So the Rebbe said, when you want to understand something, and you can't, you dig deep. What do you dig? You dig until what's called masculine, a deeper level of understanding. If that fails you, you go to will. What does will correspond to? The skull, the gogelis. What happens when will fails you? You have to go even deeper. What's even deeper? This avira, this air, this empty space between the gogelis and the kruma, which is a seat for yechida mamish. And from there you can force, you can force the brain to reason. The brain doesn't want to work. You can't will it into work. You're not even enjoying it, but you can make your brain work. That's how deep it is. Okay, so what am I trying to describe? We're talking about spiritual things linked to physical things. The brain is linked to reason. The skull is linked to will. The avir, which is ben kruma lavira, between kruma lamaycha, between kruma and galgalta, this empty space, is a cleave for the very essence of the neshama, that you can't stop. There's nothing that can stop it. It does whatever it wishes. There's no such thing as a bad mood. It has no constraints whatsoever. And therefore, when you don't want to do something that you're supposed to enjoy, not you force yourself to do it. You can force yourself to enjoy it. Because that's what this level of the neshama is. It has no constraints. It's represented in the guf by a non-physical thing, by avir. Okay? And it's in Kabbalah, if you're a Kabbalist keeping score at home, it's called Daz Da'atika, the Erz in Ba'ayavira, which is between the Kruma and the Moicha. Kruma and the Gagata. These ideas, like I told you before, are found in this part of Zaya that's called the Idris. It's really, really, really exotic. Now, I didn't come here to make you feel unsmart, okay? Let's move on, okay? Believe me, I understand it just as well as you do. But the bottom line is, it's a very high Madrid. Now, you see, there's a lot of labels for these things. There's something called can be aroused by which is really not really can only be aroused by this page top of the page that means the very depth of reason is the essence of the neshama itself 
the very essence of the neshama, which is yichida, you can force yourself to learn and understand and enjoy an idea because there's no constraints on it uh, whatsoever. So the Rebbe is giving us processes by which we use our brain to access the subconscious. The lowest level is accessing masculine. The second level is using willpower. And the third level is using this das da'atik, which because it's so infinite, it can't be constrained at all. Says the Rebbe, this level has an appeal to Reach. Smell touches this madreig of the neshama. Number eight, page Samach, second paragraph. What does it mean when it says the Mashiach smells? And that's how he smells. He smells and he judges. You want to judge somebody, sit and listen to the case. Collect evidence. Says the Rebbe Mashiach is going to collect evidence. Yeah, but, right? Yeah, but. Doesn't it say Mashiach get a schmeck and he judges? Mashiach collects evidence. But his ability to be precise in what the evidence says is absolute because his brain is charged with the power that comes from Yechida and the charge that empowers his brain to collect evidence precisely is because he has access to this level which is called the Reich has to do with smell which has to do with Yechida Shebenef Third line, middle paragraph, page Samach. Of course, Mashiach judges with his mind. But he has a very different mind. He's so much smarter. And the extra brain power is not just because he has more brain mass or the right brain mass, the right part of the brain, but because he's connecting to a much higher level than the Neshama. He does two things. He judges. And when he judges, he's using his brain. But his brain is so empowered by the higher levels of the neshama that his accuracy is 100%. He judges. He doesn't, listen to my words, he doesn't only trust his eyes. He doesn't only trust his ears. Of course he trusts his eyes. He listens to what everybody says. He collects evidence. He doesn't judge by understanding alone. He doesn't judge by intuition alone. He doesn't even judge by having a clarity in his mind like as if he sees. He judges. But he has a power to judge precisely that comes from the level of Reach. His judgment, his discernment, his discrimination is so powerfully precise because Yechidah Nefesh is charging up his brain. And that's the touch Meirach. Mashiach doesn't come to court with a bottle of perfume and give a schmeck and judge. Or he looks at two combatants, looks at the two contesting people and just smells them and says, oh, you're right, you're wrong. Mashiach is a person. But he's representing Reach. He's connected to the level of the Neshama called Yechida. That in, this, in, in terms of the biological of a person, is called Reach. So he has a Koyach. It's as if he's always smelling a good Psalmin a strong besamin that gives him access to Yechida in a way that transforms his brain into a tool of judgment and preciseness that he never makes a mistake. And in the next paragraph, the Rebbe says something amazing. He brings a Sikha and Fidika Rebbe. It's really very wonderful. It's really very wonderful. He brings a Sikha and the Fidika Rebbe. When the Fidika Rebbe says something that really doesn't make a lot of sense, 
And the Rebbe on the bottom of the page says, people think, eh, the Rebbe said a sikha, big deal. <laughs> Especially the Friedrich Rebbe sikhas, they're 40% stories, 30% hypothesis, and the base of 10% Yomare, Avecha Drushalach. So the Rebbe, look at the bottom of the page. Six lines about him. Yes, Cheshvim, Shasicha, Eina, Elo, Divide, Drush, Biyamu. Some people think, Asicha, big deal, it's only Drush. Ach, Be'emes, first of all, Sichasen, Shatami, Decham, Sicha, Limit. Any Talmud Chacham who speaks, you have to study his words. I'm skipping a line. The Koshke, the Kavachem, Sicha, Shal, Rebbe. When a Rebbe says a Sicha, Nesiyu, Manegador, the head of the generation, the leader of the generation, three lines in the bottom of the page, Samach, Shasichasem, Yusodesal, Imke, Hakabola, underlined. His sikhs sound like nice stories and pshetlach, they're the deepest secrets of Kabbalah. So the Friedrich Rebbe says a sikhah that really doesn't make any sense. The Friedrich Rebbe is talking about Mashiach. And he's asking the question, what does it mean, Merach Vidoyim? He smells and he judges. Go back to the beginning of that paragraph. Page Samach by the 9. Okay? Third line into that paragraph. Sha'amishpa the Mashiach. What does it mean the Mashiach smells and he judges? He's not only going to judge your actions, he's going to judge your motivations. He's going to meet a person, he's going to smell and identify not what the person did, but where it came from. And he brings the Maimir No human being can judge another, why not? You were not in his place. Mashiach is going to judge by literally being in your space. Every person about himself knows what brought him to that condition, right? What, what's the reason I got into this mess? But the truth is, when you're judging another human being, you can't judge him properly until you know why he got into this situation. You have to find out the causes that brought him to this Maimed Amat. Says the Rebbe Vahainu, what does that mean? A person is really good. A person's in a bad situation, this causes. Mashiach is going to use his nose. He's going to use his brain to figure out what you did. And use his nose to figure out why you did it. And in figuring out why you did it, he's going to get to your essence. And in getting to your essence, he's going to find your good. And in finding your good, he's going to take what you did and turn it around. So it sounds like a nice pshat. He's not just going to judge what you did. Says Rebbe, don't you understand what the Rebbe is saying? If you want to judge another person, you have to be in them. How can you be in another person? You're separate. The Teret is the Neshama. And the higher level of the Neshama, the more unified we are. There is no place in the Neshama where two people are more one than Yechida and Yechida. Since Mashiach's Indian is Yechida, as represented by the word Reach, Mashiach will actually feel the other person as the other person feels himself totally, and the judgment will therefore be precise and correct. Absolutely. So when the Postuk says, Hashem, and the Gemara translates the Meirach Vidon, Mashiach smells and judges. It doesn't mean he walks around with his nose in the air. It means he uses his mind. But his mind is connected to such a high level of the conscious of the Neshama that he knows what the other person knows as the other person knows it. It's the only way to judge precisely, accurately, correctly. And this is a link between Yechida and the Meach. Isn't that gorgeous? And that's the Taichideach. Smell, for me and for you, does whatever it does. But for a big Chacham, smell enhances his ability to smell. Mashiach represents this idea absolutely.
And look on page Samachalif, the next page. The Rebbe brings about Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakeh, and I'm going to be Makasek, because this is going on for too long. Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakeh was a Tanah, was a Nasi B'Yisrael, shepherd of the Jewish people through a, a literal Holocaust, and on his deathbed he says, Am I going to Ganeid no Gehenim? I don't know. So the Rebbe says, Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakeh doesn't know if he's going to Gehenim. What kind of joke is that? If Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakeh doesn't know, who does? How could Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakeh say, I don't know? This is, I don't know. Of course he knows says the Rebbe Rabbi Yechen and Benzake knew all the layers of his neshama except for the Yechidah and he says I know all the layers that I'm aware of let's call them food and the life in the food and the taste of the food and the color of the food and the texture of the food and the beauty of the food everything but the smell he knew all those levels he said but I don't know how my neshama smells I don't know my Yechidah and therefore because I don't know my Yechidah I don't know my motivations maybe underneath all this goodness there's something rotten that's, and Abiyechan, of course, said it because he was a humble person. Right? Now, if you go four lines from the end of the paragraph on page Samachalim, which proves, even if on all the layers of the neshama, a person is in one way, you can't know what's going on in the essence. was so humble, and therefore, he said, what about my essence? Maybe it's not in order. Says Rebbe, Rebbe Chumzaki didn't know. But Mashiach will. And Mashiach is not only going to know his essence, he'll know everybody's essence. Mashiach is not going to judge external judgments. That's Taich Merech Bedoin. So before I let you go, we learn two things. Ka'ula sa Mashiach, the function of Mashiach is to make Yidin do children. And Mahusa Mashiach, as it is a connection with the Yechida and all the levels of his Neshama, and when he judges using his brain, his accuracy is a Yechida accuracy. So believe Nedid, if, if I manage to prepare, we're going to tomorrow in the second Mime, you can keep these, and we're going to learn more about the Pu'ula of Mashiach, which is making Tzadikim do true. Okay.